0: I I want to just tell you a bit of my backstory before we get into the message this morning. Um, Lindsay and I, we got married in 1998, and we were living in Franklin, Tennessee, a little suburb south of Nashville, where I'm from, and we were a part of a church plant uh, that was meeting in a school uh, called Fellowship Bible Church, and we were part of that church community from 1998 until uh, 2006 when we left to go to seminary in Los Angeles. Uh, That particular Church is the church that ordained me in ministry. Uh, I was ordained by the elder team of that church. Um, We were a part of that church family for a number of years. And then I was on Young Life staff, and then we left Young Life staff in 03. And uh, I was a youth pastor, student pastor at that church until 06. Um, and so there was a, it was a wonderful journey, wonderful church, uh, certainly um, lots of relationships in our life that we still have from that church. Again, I was ordained in that, in that community. But one of the things that I want to point out to you about culturally here that was really impactful for me as a young leader is um, that they practiced expository teaching, which might be a phrase for some of you, others of you, it may not be. Uh, something that you're aware of. But expository teaching is just simply this. We take a book of the Bible and we move through and we teach through that book of the Bible verse by verse. And that has really been our practice here. Uh, And that was new for me in 1998 when we went to this church. And so I was under that kind of culture and that philosophy of uh, Bible teaching for a number of years. And so that is our normal practice here. If you've been a part of our church for any uh, length of time, you know that that's our practice. We take a book and then we move to another book. Uh, We just finished Galatians last week. If you're brand new this morning, uh, we've been in Galatians since Easter. Before that, we walked through the book of Daniel, and we've been through a lot of the books of the Bible over the last uh, nine years. Um, Occasionally, for our community, uh, we will do a thematic series it doesn 't happen often, but occasionally we will do a series that is more thematic and that 's what I want to introduce to you this morning about where we 're going to be over the next uh, few weeks. I think it was a couple of summers ago we did a thematic series in two thousand and nineteen on the minor profits. Uh, We did a series on heaven in 2017, I believe. We did a series called Empowerment a few years ago. And so we do these series occasionally, and we're going to start one today, and it's going to be called Untangling uh, Legalism. Untangling Legalism. So you know, uh, in October, we're going to start a new series on the Gospel of Matthew and if you know about the Gospel of Matthew, it's 28 chapters. We're going to be in Matthew for a little while. Uh, and so before we get to Matthew in October, we're going to spend uh, some time in a thematic series uh, called Untangling Legalism. This is a, um, a tool that I use in my, in my office when I'm uh, doing pastoral counseling uh, with people around grief uh, or relational uh, struggle. Uh, And I use this as a visual to go, oftentimes when we are working through grief, uh, there is a tangled ball of emotion. And it's helpful, uh, it was helpful for me in my journey, and I believe it's helpful for people to learn how to take one thing off at a time and name it. And so we'll take one thing off and we'll name that emotion. Also around relational uh, issues that people need to work through, it's a tangled ball of emotion sometimes. Uh, ...that we help people work through. I think, I think the same could be true of a legalistic way of thinking about God and life and life with God. Sometimes it's helpful for us to go, what is in this? I'm really wanting to lean into this message of identity in Christ and freedom in Christ... ...but I've got these things in my life that seem to uh, keep me in this tangled ball of legalistic Christianity... Uh, and I'm hoping and praying that this brief five-week series will help us untangle some things in our lives as we seek to walk out freedom and Christ in our lives. Words that I would use to describe legalistic Christianity. Some words uh, would be, and you've heard me say these words before, religiosity, uh, churchianity, uh, denominationalism. Words that uh, tend to move us. In our lives to place an overemphasis on rules and traditions and expectations and behavior modification, things that we've been talking about in our Galatians series. Uh, It uses the tools, legalistic Christianity, and I believe it's a tool of the enemy to rob believers of freedom in Christ, uh, tools of pressure and guilt and shame to get you to change, to make you feel afraid or ashamed so that you will change. Um, Legalistic Christianity is what our enemy uses to keep Christians from the amazing promises of the gospel like peace and rest and joy and security in the Lord. Um, Instead, legalistic Christianity offers us anxiety and striving and evaluation and judgment and pressure and fear. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Okay, here's the deal of the series. Legalistic Christianity is a contradiction of terms. It's an oxymoron. Are you with me right now? It's not a thing. And we need to separate it from our understanding. We need to untangle it so that we can actually live in the freedom that God has given us in Christ. And so after 15 weeks... In the book of Galatians, we've learned to build a theological foundation of having an identity in Christ and having freedom in Christ. And from that foundation, we want to learn how to live into that freedom as followers of Jesus with love and service and honor to each other and to our community. And so we're going to spend five weeks unpacking some words that I have found pastorally over many years In my own testimony and in my journey with people as a pastor, we're going to unpack some words that seem to trip Christians into a more fear-based, legalistic walk with God. Um, And the words are these. We're going to spend one week on all all of these words. Today, we're going to talk about the word confession. And then next, we're going to talk about the word conviction. And in week three, we're going to talk about the word repentance and then we're going to talk about the word sanctification and then on the last Sunday we're going to talk about the word wrath there are other words that we could use to untangle legalistic Christianity these are five words that I tend to experience a lot of with people and they're words that we use a lot in Christian culture would you agree but what my experience is of these words is that they tend to be words that trip up Christian toward fear instead of toward freedom. And so we want to reclaim these words. They've been hijacked by legalistic Christianity. And we want to reclaim these words and reframe them through the lens of freedom in Christ. And so that's my, that's my hope for this uh, series. I think the tagline is this thing working again? Oh, there we go. All right. Okay, here we go. Oh, we're, we're live now. Thank you, Kyle. Um, so here's the series. My, my prayer is that we're going to bust up Some works-based legalistic ways of thinking about these words, practices uh, that don't lend lend us toward liberty and walking out grace. Instead, they they trip us up and they rob us of uh, freedom. I want to help us get off the performance treadmill and break down walls of a religious maze that sometimes that we get stuck in. And so that's the hope and the prayer of this series. Um, My hope and my prayer is to help us experience in our real life, in our actual real lives, my hope is that we will begin to taste and experience what 1 John 5, 3 says, the commands of God aren't burdensome. They are not burdensome. The commands of God are not burdensome. Or that we would experience in our real lives what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, who are heavy laden and burdened. Does that just say heavy? Heavy and burdened. That's funny. Uh, Heavy laden and burdened, I will give you Rest. My hope that this series will actually be an opportunity for us to actually experience these truths in our, in our lives. Some of you may, may not have even known that 1 John 5, 3 was in the Bible. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Because when I was in seminary, I didn't know that verse was in the Bible. And Lindsay brought it to me in our kitchen and she said, did you know this verse was in the Bible? And I was like, the commands of God aren't burdensome. Um, I probably read it before, but I don't know that I've ever seen it. And that, that moment was the beginning of the seeds of the vision for this church, that one verse. When Lindsay brought that to me in our kitchen when I was in seminary in 2007. Some of you, perhaps most of you, have experienced just the opposite of those promises. That the commands of God have been burdensome. Because that would have been my testimony at the time in 2007 when Lindsay brought that verse to me in our kitchen. My testimony would have been, yeah, the command. I I felt more striving and more pressure than I felt peace and joy and rest at that point in my journey with the Lord and in the church. Um, And so, what I want us to consider as we get into this series is this that our minds need to be renewed, even after years of seeing some of these, like tangled christianese words that lend us toward pressure guilt shame fear than righteousness peace joy i'm going to say as a disclaimer because patterns of thinking in christian culture can get so entrenched in our minds when i talk about these five words each sunday uh, seeing something through a different lens Reclaiming a word and reframing a word through identity in Christ and freedom in Christ might trip us up a little bit. And that's okay with me because uh, I, I want us to, to consider that maybe there's some tentacles of legalistic Christianity in us that's robbing us of real peace, joy, righteousness, hope, peace that Jesus came to give us. Um, don't, don't believe, uh, don't reclaim these words and reframe them. Uh, don't believe what I'm teaching in this series because I'm saying it. Like, I'm not that powerful, I'm not that smart. Don't believe it because I'm saying it. Believe it because you see it in the word of God. And my hope and prayer is to help you see it in the word of God. And so I'm not trying to be persuasive in the way to believe this because I'm saying it. But I am telling you that I I do stand convinced of these things because I see it in God's word. And I'm hoping and praying that as we work through these words, that there will be a real liberation movement for us from words that have tripped us up over our lives. Um, We're going to start today with confession, confession, question. When you hear the word confession, confession, you're a believer? Oh, confession. When you hear the word confession, I want you to think for a second. What comes to your mind immediately? Confess blank. You don't have to tell me. But confess blank, what comes to mind? And my gut is that for the vast majority of us in the room, what you have just filled in the blank is the word sin. Confess sin. I, now, if that's, if that's different for you, that's great. But I think the majority of us probably would have answered it that way. And a big problem with the word confession that plagues believers, that puts them into legalistic Christianity, which is an oxymoron. is that that the word confession, believers in Jesus automatically connect confession and sin in our minds right out of the gate with no other categories, with no other categories for confession. I would say that the practice of confession in Christian culture puts the emphasis squarely on what you have been doing, wrong, sin, sin, And in order to be forgiven of a sin and made right with God or to have fellowship with God, uh, a Christian must confess that sin to God and ask for forgiveness. And so it would practically work itself out this way. There's something that I have said that was a sin or something that I did that was a sin and fellowship with God is broken to some degree. And so I need to go to God and confess that sin to God and he is withholding forgiveness from me and waiting for me to confess. And when I confess, God will then give me fresh forgiveness and fellowship with God will be restored. I think that's a concept that A lot of people that have grown up in Christian families or the church have about confession. This view of confession, I would say, is so widely held that many don't even pause to consider its actual ramifications. A.K.A. God is withholding forgiveness until you confess it and ask for it. So you better be a really good confessor if your forgiveness is dependent on your ability to confess. You you with me right now? That puts a lot of emphasis on your work to be forgiven. And that's not the gospel, church. That is not the gospel of grace. Here's what the word actually means. The word confession means to agree with. That's what it means. And as Christians, there are some amazing liberating truths for us to agree with. Would you agree with that? There are some promises in the scripture, some incredible promises of God to us to agree with that liberates us to have everything that Jesus came and died and rose again to give us. Here are some other things that we could attach to confession other than sin. To agree with. Jesus is the Lord and the King of my life. Amen. I can confess that. I can agree with that. My old sin nature that I was enslaved to before I confessed with my mouth and believed with my heart that Jesus is Lord and was saved. My old sin nature is gone and I have been made completely new in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Second Corinthians five. Let's Let's confess that together. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you agree with that? In Christ, you are the righteousness of God. You have right standing with God. Not because you have done anything, but because God has done everything for you. And I agree with that. And I submit to that truth and I am liberated and forgiven and set free. And God says, I see you as son and daughter and you are, you are the righteousness of God. You have right standing with God. As far as the East is from the West, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. Agree with that? Confess that. I am no longer a slave. I am a child of God, Galatians chapter 4. The practice of confession as Christians, as believers, followers of Jesus, is a liberating process of freedom. But the word confession in Christian culture, I believe, has been hijacked and limited only to the confession of sin. And we need to reclaim it and we need to reframe it. So that we can understand a more robust understanding of confession in our lives. Hear me, hear me say this. There is a place in our lives for confession of sin. There is a place. And we're going to talk about that. But don't, what I'm trying to make the point now is this. Don't limit confession only to confession of sin. And let me also say this. There is a big difference between confessing sin To God as a non-believer, at conversion, at salvation, and as a new covenant believer who has been saved and set free and forgiven in Christ. There's a big difference in how we understand confession at conversion and as a follower of Jesus, as a a believer. And you might be surprised. You might be surprised. As much as Christianese and Christian culture, uh, as much as we talk about confession... Uh, It's only found five places in the New Testament. You're only going to find it five times in the whole New Testament, the idea of confession. And I'm going to walk these through with you uh, this morning as we reclaim and reframe. Here's the first one. John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist. Here's the context. John the Baptist was a herald of Jesus, the first cousin of Jesus. He was a herald of Jesus who came to inaugurate the new covenant. So this is at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And it says they were coming to John the Baptist at the river Jordan. They were the Jewish people. They were the Jewish people. They were coming to Jesus or coming to John the Baptist in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. This is specific to John the Baptist's ministry. Again, they were the Jews. The context is this is before the inauguration of the new covenant of grace that Jesus came to give us. So it's a context specific to Jewish people in the ministry of John the Baptist. And they were confessing their sins here, um, Mark 1 5 is the, um, is, is the same story of this verse in Matthew 3. Here's the second one Matthew 10. Jesus said these words Whoever confesses me before others, I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Clearly, clearly, this is not talking about confessing sin, but confessing Jesus as Lord. That's what Jesus is talking. So confession here, first, first example, specific to John the Baptist's ministry. Second example, the confession there is confession of Jesus as Lord. Third one, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What's confession in this verse? Clearly the confession here again is Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. Are you guys seeing this? Fourth example, James 5. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's a practice of Christian community. The practice of carrying each other's burdens. The practice of iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. The practice of transparency and authenticity. The practice of I'm not meant to walk this journey alone and I'm not perfect and I'm in process and I got stuff and I don't have to hide because we have a culture of grace and freedom and I can confess things to you in an environment of grace and freedom so that you can remind me of the gospel because sometimes when I fail and when I trip and I fall, the enemy gets in my head around shame and fear, or perhaps we were discipled at one point in our life, like I was, that when we we sin fellowship with God is broken and I can go confess to a brother in Christ or to my wife or to a friend and they say no 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 you are radically totally forgiven the blood of Jesus has covered all of it I want to remind you of the gospel and I find healing in being reminded of the gospel because someone in my family of faith ministers to me and keeps me from the slippery slope of guilt, shame, fear. If you guys are with me right now. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful practice. When it's an environment of grace and freedom. It's a dangerous practice. When it's an environment of legalism. And churchianity. Because you're going to get judged. And you would do well to, to hold that back. But if we believe the gospel. We can confess our sins to each other. So that we can be. Healed. An environment of grace, love, forgiveness, real healing can take place when we practice this. We can get free from hiding and posturing and putting on religious fronts. And with a sense of security, we can step into the healing work of transparency and praying for one another, helping each other with real burdens. What's the context here of confession? The context here of confession is confessing sins to each other, and you will be healed when we do that, because we remind each other of the gospel. And before we get to the fifth and final reference, I want to set this up a little bit for you. Fifth and final reference in the New Testament. Uh, It's the only reference in the New Testament that calls us people to confess sins before God. what I'm trying to unpack with you before we get to this last reference is the other four contextually aren't confessing sins to God, confessing Jesus as Lord. We're two of them, confessing sins connected to the John the Baptist ministry and then confessing sins to each other. This is the only one that has a reference to confessing sins before God. Can you believe that? Only one verse in the whole New Testament, only one verse in all of the New Testament. When the topic of sin and the need of confession are typically brought up, this verse is quoted because there's no other verses to quote. This is it. Who will tell me what this verse is? You know what it is. So many of you know what it is. It is what? You guys are. You guys know it. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. We're going to spend the rest of our time on this verse. This is really really going to be important for us to untangle, reclaim, reframe. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've had this verse memorized for years. Who else has had this verse memorized for years? few of us in here we know this verse we know this verse in his book called pure grace which i'm so grateful i see chris in the back gave me this verse a few years ago there's a chapter in that book it's written by a pastor named clark whitten and this one chapter in this book is really like oh my gosh that would be an amazing series for us um and the chapter is called like Mat, like rats and Maze, is the name of the chapter but in his book i want to quote something from his book around this verse. And he says, this one verse is the fulcrum verse that tips your life toward legalism or grace, toward religion or toward intimacy with God, toward a life of performance or toward a life of rest and security, toward bondage or toward freedom, toward law or toward love. It is therefore imperative that this verse be interpreted correctly, and it has not been. Again, quoting Clark Witten, Pastor Clark Witten, he says this. It is the most abused, misinterpreted, and misapplied verse in the whole Bible. Now, you can agree with him on that or not, and I'm not here to debate you on that. I'm just reading you his quote. But what I would say to you is that quote is a pretty provocative statement. Would you agree? About this verse, and so what I want to do with the, uh, the the time we have remaining this morning is is make three points with you about this one verse, and we're going to read actually that chapter in its context. And so, if you want to turn over to First John chapter one, toward the very end of the New Testament, First, Second, Third John, right before the book of Revelation. Um, three points about this verse. One is this, and you're going to see this in just a minute. This verse, this chapter, 1 John 1, is not directed to Christians. It is directed to people who need salvation. And you're going to see this contextually in just a minute, that the Apostle John is using chapter 1 of 1 John to proclaim the gospel message to people who don't have Jesus as their Savior. When we read the whole chapter... I think it will be clear. Let's start reading, and I don't have these verses on, but let me, let's read this together. I'm reading from the NIV. Let's read the first eight verses before we get to, ch- to verse nine, which we know so well. We know First John 1, 9 so well, but we understand that context is king when we read the scripture, and we need to learn how to read verses within paragraphs and paragraphs within chapters and chapters within books, because when we rip a verse out of its context, all we're left with is a con, And that's how this verse gets misapplied, misinterpreted so often. Here, the Apostle John writing this letter, starting in verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. We have heard that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life we have seen the glory of Jesus and we are proclaiming the truth and the glory of Jesus he says in verse 2 the life appeared Jesus himself and we have seen it and we testify to it he's giving a testimony he's testifying to Jesus and we proclaim it to we proclaim to you the eternal life he switches from we to you We have seen and we have heard and now we proclaim to you. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Here it is. So that you also may have fellowship with us. So that you would believe in Jesus and come into the community of following Jesus, and we would have fellowship with each other. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Here it is, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you. You guys seeing this? Proclaiming the gospel. 1 John, John 1 9 is the next verse. John is imploring people to believe the gospel so that they would come into a saving relationship with Christ. And 1 John 1 9 tells them how to do it. I'm proclaiming the gospel to you. First John 1 tells you how to do it. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Agree, confess, agree that we need a savior, that we have a sin problem and we need a savior. Confess that. And he talks about that in his, in his proclamation message. And then here's the promise. From 1 John 1, 9, you will be forgiven and you will be cleansed from a little bit of unrighteousness or the unrighteousness that you have done up to this point only. Now it says what? You will be cleansed of all unrighteousness. You guys have heard me say this before. Let's do a, let's do a deep dive Greek word study on the, on the word all. And guess what we're going to come up with? All means all. Here's the literal translation of the Greek word that's translated all. And you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness. The Greek word, it means all. Or every kind of, which is all, okay? All, if we confess, a non-believer confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's point two. Cleanse from all unrighteousness means all. Here's a statement. At the moment of conversion, the moment somebody sees the glory of Jesus and believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, at that moment, at that moment of conversion, at that moment of salvation, a person, you, I, if you, if you follow Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are cleansed of all unrighteousness and you are made to be the righteousness of God in Christ. And the sins that have been forgiven in that moment are your past, your present, and your future. Totally, radically forgiven and set free. Reconciled, restored, brought into a saving, secure relationship with God. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and sin will no longer be laid to your account because you have been made the righteousness of God, because you have been radically forgiven and set free because of the blood of Jesus and your belief in following Jesus, past, present, future sins. And when we believe that, fear doesn't get to come in. Because we know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus didn't just forgive your sins up to the time that you were saved. He forgave all your sins forever. You are as forgiven now as you ever will be even in heaven. You are in Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. You are as forgiven in this moment of time right now. You are as forgiven now as you ever will be, even in heaven. Like, consider that. Think about that. Process the glory of that and the freedom of that and the security of that and the rest of that. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No one, no one in Christ will ever be condemned. We have so many amazing promises to agree with, to confess to, and this one verse trips up so many Christians. And we believe this false idea that I have to confess my sins to God in order to get fresh forgiveness when the truth of the gospel is you're already forgiven. It's already done. The work is already done. You are as forgiven now as you ever will be. Last point, we'll close here. Worship team, you can come back up. As covenant, new covenant believers, followers of Jesus, hear me say this. It is helpful. It is good to confess our sins to one another in order to experience fresh healing in an atmosphere of the gospel. But we, we don't have to confess our sins to God in order to be forgiven by God. It's already a promise to you. We confess our sins to God because we already are forgiven. It's already true. And I don't want to carry this stuff around in my backpack of my life. I can confess to others and I can confess to God not to get something that I don't already have. I can confess to God because I already have it and I'm not meant to carry that around anymore. And I need a fresh reminder from God that I've taken your sin as far as the east is from the west and I remember it no more. Consider this for a second as a new covenant believer. That thing in your life that you just can't shake, that thing that you did... And you just can't get the shame of it off of you. And you bring it to God over. Some of you have been bringing the same sin to the Lord of glory for years. Consider this. The Lord Jesus looking at you in this moment and saying to you, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what you're talking about. Come to me, all you weary. Come to the throne of grace in your time of need to be refreshed. The reason why is because it's a throne of grace, unmerited favor. You're totally forgiven. As a Christian, I don't confess in order to be forgiven. I confess because I'm already forgiven. And when I interact with other people and when I interact with God about sin, it's for my healing. It's not for my forgiveness. I'm already forgiven. Are y'all with me right now? I hope this is good news for you. There is healing in the confession because I am reminded of what is true. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I have an identity in Christ. I am free in Christ. After proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers in 1 John chapter one, the apostle turns his attention to Christians in 1 John chapter two, verse one. And he explains how we experience fresh healing when we sin as new covenant believers. And here's the word, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the Christ. He is our advocate. He, he is the one that represents us before the Father, the righteous. To which I say, hallelujah. To which I confess and I agree that Jesus is enough and that his grace is sufficient for me. I make that confession. I pray that you will make that confession. And that we would have a healthier, more freedom-oriented understanding of the word confession. So that we can operate in community with each other to experience fresh healing. And that we would see and understand that Jesus is our advocate. Not withholding something from us, but giving His grace to us over and over and over again. That's why the visual that Paul gives us in Ephesians 1 is that God lavishes you with his grace. Perfect love casts out all the fear. Perfect love, the perfect love of God, the grace of God casts out all the fear. And if the word confession is connected to fear in your life, we wanna reclaim it and reframe it through the lens of the blood of Jesus and the message of the promise that you are a son, you are a daughter, you are forgiven, you are set free, you are safe with me, amen? Lord, we want to reclaim and reframe confession to see that it is for our freedom and our identity and our rest and our peace. Lord, would you help us understand more fully that the commands of God aren't burdensome and that we come to Jesus for rest when we're heavy laden and we're burdened because that is what you give us. So we confess Jesus is the Lord and we confess that we love Jesus and we're gonna follow Jesus. We're gonna lift the name of Jesus and we confess that we're gonna allow the promises of God to be a, a bigger priority in what we think and what we believe than than our behavior and what we feel or what we think. Lord, we want to come under the authority of your word today. And so I pray that you have used this broken vessel to help your people that you love understand more fully the beauty of confession to liberate us in Jesus. In your name we pray.